DKS19 is sponsored by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. .za or tweet this show using our handle at digital kung fu za or follow us on facebook.com slash digital kung fu za pitching is something we do as startup founders and entrepreneurs all the time we're either pitching to venture capitalists for uh, investment to our friends and family in terms of selling our ideas or sharing our ideas and also to the staff and the people that we work with but pitching is oftentimes a very difficult thing to do and many of us don't actually get it right and it's this problem that we're going to tackle in the show with our guest which is Rich Mulholland on top of being a really really awesome dude he's also an amazing businessman and he is well positioned having literally gone through tens of thousands of presentations for his clients. He's the guy who will really unpack for us how to do it right. And pay attention to the second half of the show where he reveals something which I really found really quite compelling, which was the advice that he would give himself if he was 20 years old. So pay attention to that. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matt Brown, and I'm thrilled to have you with us again for yet another edition of the Digital Kung Fu Show. I'd like to kick things off by sharing with you a quote by Napoleon Hill. Quote, think twice before you speak, because your words and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. End quote. Our guest today is the founder of numerous startups, most notably The Missing Link, which is one of Africa's largest uh, presentation firms. The Firing Squad, which is an email marketing company, and 21 Tanks, which is a first perspective lab, which we'll touch on hopefully a bit later if time allows. Um, He is the current president of the Entrepreneurs' Organization in Johannesburg and is a regular on the international business speaking circuits, both in North America, South America, and of course, as you can imagine, across the African continent. So our guest in the hot seat today is Rich Mulholland. Rich, thank you for your time today. It's great to have you in the hot seat. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, one we thing, just to clarify, I'm the incoming president of the EO, so I only take over in about two months, but yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for the clarification. Um, right, so now the important stuff. Um, you toured as a roadie with Iron Maiden and Def Leppard. How the hell was that? It was rad. It was, uh, it was rad because I get to say it, talk about it now. It was one of these things that I never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I was... <laughs> Uh, it was dirty and it wasn't nearly as glamorous as people would think, but for uh, a little bit of hard work for a short period of time, I've got to uh, tell the story for a very long time okay. and, uh, and it's cool. I really, really enjoyed it. I will say, uh, geez, uh, without a doubt, my work ethic was derived from being part of a road crew. Uh, uh, yeah. Failure is not an option. You know, uh, that kind of cliche that yeah. the show will go on, that all exists. Yeah, uh, people do what it takes, and it was uh, the best. I never did military service; that had just finished when I left school. And I always feel like this was my military service. It was uh, <laughs> uh, it was the bit that gave me a bitch slap and woke me up. 
Okay, cool, man. No, I totally understand. It's backbreaking work, isn't it? What was the craziest thing that you that you that you saw on tour, either with Iron Maiden or Def Leppard? Oh, I saw a guy. Uh, I saw a guy die. I saw a guy get. Um, he was took too many drugs. He tried to do a gag by climbing out of a window at, in the Cascades Hotel in Sun City, yeah. and thought he could climb across a ledge and jump into somebody else's window and give him a fright while they were sleeping. And he just basically stepped out the window. He said, guys, this will be hilarious and fell out the window. It's kind of like, um, it's probably an, an interesting story to segue into what we're going to be talking about, which is pitch presentations, which so often tank yeah. <laughs> pretty much like that dude did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What is his best hour? I <laughs> know. Yeah, Talk about failing in glory. Eh? <laughs> yeah. The only thing is he landed in breakfast. <laughs> the way could you imagine darling pass you the beans <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah this is the, the the definition of the missing link upstairs right so yeah. so you're he was, uh, he was a crazy guy but uh, uh it was obviously pretty tragic at the time yeah but so, yes. it was it, i guess it's that environment that um uh bad crazy things go down for the most part, though, the, the irony is uh, the craziness is a lot more about what people perceive it to be than what it actually is. Yeah, you know, yeah, generally, yeah. you're just tired or dirty. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Listen, well, what's the missing link, right, your company? What's the 30-second story behind that? Oh, and by the way, I was um, checking out some of the videos that you guys have on YouTube, and you've got probably the raddest office and working environment that I've ever actually seen. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I mean, it's really nuts. There's a fireman pole, there's a slide, there's a shooting range, there's a tree house, a tattoo parlor. I mean, it's just insane. So let me, I'll tell you what uh, Missing Link was, and I'll give you that pitch, and that will explain the office, and, uh, and then I'll explain to you what we are now. Great. Missing Link, when, when I started, the idea was I would go to these big rock shows, and uh, we would do all lighting and sound and AV, yeah. and in winter, we had no work. My, my hypothesis was that uh, we could go to corporates and sell them the same stuff and make their conferences rad and uh, big lights, big sun, big AV. The truth was it didn't make a difference. Uh, it didn't matter how good your lighting was. If your presentation was crap, it was crap. Mm. Uh, so I started Missing Link. I was 23. Uh, that was, I'm now 41. And uh, the idea was that instead of fixing the lighting, we'd fix the presentations. However, after the first few years, I realized that people weren't actually buying presentations. I thought they were. Uh, the problem wasn't that they had bad presentations. The problem was that they didn't want to be boring. Now, originally when I started, I bought suits and ties. I mean, I had these tailored suits. I thought I was the bomb. I would go out every day. Uh, Hello there, hi, Richard Holland, shake hands, all these kind of things. <laughs> and uh, I believed what everybody told me that, you know, you won't get into these big guys, these suits, uh, unless you looked apart, you're dressed for success. Yeah. And then those two realizations I had. The first one was, again, as mentioned, that they didn't have a presentation problem. They had assistants that could make presentations. Everybody could make presentations themselves. What they had was a, I don't want to be boring problem, mm. right? So they wanted to be compelling. And by the way, yeah, just to clarify, uh, we don't believe that the opposite of boring is uh, wacky, crazy, off the wall. We, we think the opposite of boring is compelling. Mm. And, and this is what they need, wanted to be. They wanted to stand up on a stage and compel an audience. Mm. So well, as soon as we realized that, though, we wanted to try and say, well, if we're trying to sell anti-boring, we need to look anti-boring. 
So everything changed. I started wearing shorts and t-shirts uh, to meetings and we had these wacky offices. I bought a stretch limousine and we had flames down the side of it yeah. and it had these two flags at the front and they looked like these kind of like African country flags with a triangle and the thing, but they were actually two little boobies. And so when you drive and pick them up from their big offices downtown and drive them back to the missing link. And we'd have these little videos we'd run for them with presentation tutorials on the way. And we had an amazing chauffeur and stuff. Yeah. And the whole thing was to try and let them know that, uh, well, the theory was, uh, I am boring. I don't want to be boring. These guys aren't boring. Therefore, they're the right guys for the job. And it sounds silly, but it really works. The crazy offices is all marketing for our clients. That's, that's the lie, right? It's just, it's just marketing. Because for us, the novelty wears off after a week. It feels like a cool place to come to work, and then it's just work. Yeah. And, and that's what it becomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second realization was that when I went in a suit and a tie to a 23-year-old, a CEO knows how to frame you. If you're a 23-year-old in a suit, the CEO of a bank sees you as a graduate or a youngster, and they treat you as such. Yeah. But when I went there uh, differently, when I went there in like a T-shirt or a, like a different kind of more casual shirt and a pair of jeans, mm-hmm. then I didn't fit their worldview of what somebody in their organization should look like. And bizarrely, they started dealing with me as a peer. Really? And it was a very weird shift for me. that they, they, they realized that this guy is different and on par. He's a business owner and he looks different. And they never had a problem with it. And it worked so much better. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't say this is right for every business, but for ours, it really, really was uh, like flicking a switch on the growth pattern of the business. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's, it's obviously you, you, the company's been around for over 20 years now, right? Well, I, know, I mean, at 23 when I started it, uh, this year is its 19th year. 19th year, okay. So we're getting on to our, almost our two decades. Sort of That's why it's a startup quite anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely not a startup. <laughs> but let's, Although, let's, I still think we think like one some half the time. <laughs> that's that's a benefit though, thinking like a startup, even though your company, you know, it's been around. Yeah, because we, we feel out of our depth. When you think like a startup, I realize, wow, I don't know if I have the, uh, uh, like startups today, I think naturally think on the scale that's different to when I started my business. Mm, mm, like mm. Uh, startups almost try think exponential, but I believe if you want to plant an, exp- if you want to kind of grow an exponential business, you have to plant an exponential business seed. And I don't think I did that. You know, I had a business that was kind of growing like that, where startups are thinking, hey, let's start with one user and then have a million and then have a billion and they make up. <laughs> and uh, for me to go from where we are now to that requires a complete rethink. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not, I'm not sure I desire it because I'm also extremely lazy. <laughs> the lazy way to success, eh? There's actually a yeah, book about I- that. Yeah. And uh, you have to redefine success to fit your laziness, but it's a worthwhile endeavor. But it's a worthwhile endeavor, yes. At least you're congruent with what you want, eh? <laughs> and your lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, one day on my deathbed, I'll have to work back. If, if, which one was the lie? Was I saying, uh, because I'm lazy, I only want to be this successful? Or was I only this successful, therefore I told the world, the world I was lazy? <laughs> One day I'll be completely honest with myself. I'll get back to you. <laughs> cool. I'll get something in the diary for in about four yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> cool. Let's, let's talk about the land of mediocrity, right? Uh, crap presentations as you describe them. <laughs> so, you know, this for me can be the Achilles heel of startup founders and entrepreneurs because as we were discussing before we, before we actually started recording was that, you know, as founders and as entrepreneurs, we're pitching all the time, 
right? We're either looking for more investment, we're trying to pitch our ideas to networks or partners or whatever the case. And it can very often be the difference between succeeding or not in terms of either procuring a partnership or getting investor capital and so on. When you, in your experience, I mean, mean, we touched on this earlier, was, you know, you've, you've basically been through thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of presentations. So when you look back at all of that, where does it all go wrong in your view? Speaking of which, like the boring angle versus content, like what's the balance? Where does it all go wrong? What can the guys um, do in terms of fixing these things? Uh, okay, so I'll tell you what everybody does do, and I'll tell you why it's flawed, and then I'll take you to it. The first thing that people do is they think making pretty slides uh, will fix a presentation, right? That's like having a bad steak and making the plate look nice. You know, having, a, oh, look, we'll put a tomato there. It's like garnish. You know, sometimes yeah, restaurants, it's like, looks shitty, and then there's just like a lettuce leaf. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty slides, right? So pretty slides aren't going to help you. Uh, and the second thing is just rehearsal. Uh, sometimes I see these guys and they stand up and they're fantastically talented speakers and they're really capable of delivering a message, but their message lacks structure and flow mm. and they haven't got their audience to the same point that they are. And uh, they've not primed their audience before they went into the pitch. And I think those are the two big problems, which leads to the two things that they need to focus on. And to me, it's the way they prepare and the way they structure their presentation. Mm-hmm. Everything happens there. A bad presenter with a well-structured presentation uh, will win over a good uh, speaker because otherwise it just looks like veneer. It just looks like this is a person who has all the answers and all the words, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. guys fumble through a well-structured presentation uh, and, and nail it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that narrative, that structure, right? For example, the articulation of a strategies strat- or startup strategy into a deck is often a very difficult thing to do, and it's almost an art form. To, in my view. Um, but, and I think for me, the challenge is really distilling it down into a very simple yet compelling and believable story, right? Um, in the context of startups, how do, how do you think an entrepreneur or a founder should go about doing that and building that story? What okay. makes a great so story? Yeah. Let's separate the presentation from the, from this, the story. I mean, a, a presentation is basically your story with more detail, right? Mm. And for a purpose. Yeah. You're delivering a message to achieve results. So I'm working with an organization called Techstars at the moment where we're trying to train their uh, speakers and we're going to be going through a whole program with them for when they pitch. Let's work on the story bit first. Uh, I have a methodology for this. And it came from once I was on an airplane. I was flying upper class to a Seth Godin event in uh, the States. He has these little private workshop things. And I was in virgin upper class. My feet were up and I was on. And all of a sudden, uh, this flight attendant was, uh, came up to me and said, um, excuse me, sir, sorry, the girls and I were wondering, are you in a band? And <laughs> now, there's only ever one answer to that question. A beautiful one. Yes. Yes, yes I'm in absolutely. a band. Absolutely. For many years. Bathrooms, would you like to uh, go <laughs> in and, and hit the club? And um, <laughs> what, I, what I said is, no, actually, I'm a presentation strategist. And I thought, I have the shittest job ever. Like you <laughs> never breed if you're a presentation strategist. So what I realized is that I had to come up with a better way uh, to describe what we do. And it was an absolute 100% true story. Between them and when I landed, I wanted to come up with a methodology for us. And it ended up being the methodology that I take uh, through everybody. If you want to describe your business, if somebody asks you what you do, the way you answer is, you know how when you, well, what we do is. 
So uh, you know how when you're standing in front of an audience and you have something really cool to tell them and you know that it will change them if they understand it, mm-hmm. yet you're speaking to them, all you see is a school, of, like the sea of dull, lifeless, bored faces. Mm-hmm. Well, what we do is make sure that never happens to you again. We structure your story. We tell in a compelling way. And the idea is by taking that methodology, you put it in there with them first and then you bring it back to you. So you know that, you know your problem? Well, here's what we do. Mm-hmm. And thinking about your business that way is a, is a very, very handy uh, uh, mechanic to use. Mm-hmm. I always say to people, uh, before you sell them the ambulance, you have to create the accident. And in any kind of presentation or storing thing, you have to be both those things. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I say to you right now, I'll give you, if you, how much money do you have in your wallet at the moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, right um, now, yeah. three, four, four, five hundred bucks. Okay, 500 bucks. I will have an ambulance right outside those doors for you in five minutes. No problem at all. Give me 500 bucks and I'll put it there. And, and you're like, I need an ambulance. But it's got a paramedic in it and it's <laughs> white with red stripes on it and it's got a flashing light. And you're like, yeah, but I don't need an ambulance. <laughs> uh, but if I hit you over the face uh, with a baseball bat and, uh, and then you're beating and your arm's breaking and you look like you're going to die, then I'll get the 500 bucks. Hell, mm-hmm. then I'll get a whole lot more mm-hmm. because I've created the accident. And that's what you need to do in your presentation. You have to, first of all, make them care. Mm-hmm. Before you can even think of selling your product, you have to buy their attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is true whether you're a startup or a big organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your speaking company because I think we're touching on really the, more the not necessarily the narrative side of things, but actually the delivery of that story. For example, you're, I think what you're trying to say is you know get people to associate with that problem or identify with the problem so that you can really land and build equity in terms of the solution that you're selling, right? Yeah, very certainly the narrative. That's your narrative flow. We have four four steps in which you would take a person through a presentation. It's give okay. them a reason to care, give them a reason to believe, tell them what they need to know, and tell them what they need to do. Mm-hmm. This is our presentation structure. I've never seen one that does not follow the structure or should not follow the structure. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the, it's not so much about the delivery there. It's about very much about the, the, the way that you'd be structuring your story. Okay, cool. Uh, in terms of but the yeah, deli- business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. The, the delivery side of the story, what do you see as the sort of common mistakes? Let's say the story is perfect, right? But the guy's getting nervous. He's never asked for investments or an investment capital uh, before or a sum of money before. Uh, the guy's nervous. Where do you think or what are kind of the easy to apply things that can get him centered and confident about the delivery of that story? Okay, I don't think, I mean, as much as books will tell you otherwise, I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all answer to that. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, everyone's going to be slightly different in the way they handle it and how they handle nerves and things. I mean, I have rituals. I listen to certain playlists. I, I, I get myself to a point of confidence. Uh, the main thing is, though, is that if you've, you have to be careful. You have to strike the balance. I'll tell you what people do wrong. They completely and utterly over-rehearse. So what they do is they is they, they prepare to a point in which they, they, they remembered it the same way they remember a speech in high school. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is if they get confused in a word, like, oh, I meant to say therefore, but I said but, and, uh, uh, and they go back and they change things. You, that's why we, we never call it, um, we never do script development. We do script structure. You're trying to understand your, your, where you came from and where you're going and what you have to do, but we don't want you to know all the words in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want you to learn something parrot fashion. And I think doing that means that you're both trying to deliver a presentation and recite poetry. And that's too much work for anyone to do on top of the stress of, of trying to raise money. Yeah. Uh, so, so the first thing they do is they over, they over prepare. 
Uh, the second thing is that they underprepare. And this is this very, very almost to the point of being unhelpful because you've really got to find what that balance is. But if you underprepare, you have these people who think they can get away with it just on personality alone. And you have to kind of know what you have to have your confidence in what you're saying. If you can get to a point where you look at your deck and you know what you want to say and you're completely and utterly confident about, okay, on this slide, I want to spend about two or three minutes. I want to talk about X. By here, I want to take them to here and there. Uh, and then the kind of master skill is just understand your segues. If you, you don't have to know what to say on a slide. That comes very naturally. You have to know how to get from one to the next without looking. And that's a skill that takes some time. Because then what happens is your message becomes perfectly transitioned the whole way across. And your whole presentation has flow, which is a lot less jarring than, okay, end, blah, 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 end of story, um, click. Okay, uh, and then you go into the next bit. So try working your segues. I, I always try my best in, in a talk to, I don't mind looking at the screen and referring to the screen a lot, but I always try my best to not be looking at it when I click. And to just make, because I wanted them to know that I was prepared and I know that I've timed when it comes in and what I'm doing. And it gives you an air of confidence. It comes across very well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Richard. That concludes the first part of the show. I'd just like to spend a few minutes um, with some rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap up. Um, I'd like to start by um, some questions. I went out to the digital Kung Fu community, said I was interviewing you and asked them to send me any questions they'd like to ask you. So I'm going to start with a couple from the community, okay? Okay. Cool. So this one's from uh, Sipo. He says, what was the subject of the last talk you gave in the United States? Uh, we're speaking on in Houston on Friday and Saturday, and I spoke about the importance of having a victory condition in your business. A victory condition? Right. If, I, if we were playing a game together, right? Let's say we're playing a board game. I'm quite obsessed with board games. You can see a bunch of them there. Yeah. If we were playing a board game, if I wanted to teach it to you, I would have to explain to you the basic rules. But the most important thing I'd have to teach you is what victory looks like. Uh, and in many, many games, there are many, many ways you can get to victory. You can get there, provided we're all heading towards that one thing. Mm-hmm. And we work with large organizations, and we convince them this is what they need. They require a, a condition of victory that the whole organization can become galvanized behind. And the talk was on the importance of that and how to do it. Okay, cool. The next one's from Vanessa. She says, um, what's the number one thing on your bucket list before you die? Uh, I think so. I've spoken at various TEDx's and I've spoken on the main stage at TED once doing a three-minute talk. I think I'd like to do, uh, I always feel like I got in and almost it feels like a technicality. And I think I'd like to go and do a proper uh, a full-blown TED talk. I'd like to be on the main stage and present there. Okay, awesome. On any particular subject or is that still to be determined? Uh, to be determined probably at the moment. I always try to rethink of things and uh, reinvent content as we go. Okay, cool. So questions from myself. Um, when you think of the word successful, who do you think of and why? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
stocks, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I think of guys like uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I like the idea that they're in complete control, that they don't let financial decisions dictate. I say even Seth Godin as well. They don't let financial decisions dictate, uh, uh, you know, how they behave. And they don't see growth and headcount and revenue as motivators for success. They see lifestyle and freedom as motivators for success. Okay. In my book, Legacy, I wrote about another guy by the name of Taddy Blatcher. Mm-hmm. And he, for me, reframed success completely. He made me realize that this is the most successful person I've probably ever met in my life. And he lives in a modest house and um, drives mm-hmm. a modest car, but he does really, really, really meaningful stuff. Yeah. And yeah. for me, it's far better. Okay, cool. Um, next one is when you think of the word punchable, who do you think of? Oh, wow. Many, many, many people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so easy at the moment. Like with you, the obvious answers are your Donald Trumps and, and things like that. <laughs> and, uh, com- people who are liberal, uh, far left uh, liberals without thought. People who don't think about what they're saying. They just jump on the bandwagon and, and get all political and fist in the air about, no, free this and free that and do this and do that. And they have no reason. Yeah. Uh, uh, They've, they've given no proper thought to what they're saying. They just don't want to be seen as uncool. I want to punch them in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Trump's an interesting character. Huh? <laughs> yeah. We shall see. Um, okay, so... Well, he's more far right. Uh, so I think, I think, in fact, you probably uh, helped define my answer there. I don't like people who are too extreme on either political point of view. Too conservative, definitely punch in the face. Too liberal, punch in the face. I think uh, Americans' bipartisan worldview is completely broken. Uh, what they require is a tripod. They they need the third leg. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be there, but I also don't want to be there. Yeah. Okay. Lots of punches, basically. <laughs> Lots of bitch slapping required yeah. for those. <laughs> cool. Um, if you were to go back today as yourself to yourself when you were 20, what advice would you give yourself as a 20-year-old about business? Okay, if I was to go back today to myself in my 20th, in my 20s, the first thing I would do is build a time machine so that the 45-year-old the version of myself could come back to the 41-year-old version and stop me from going. Because the truth is this, the person I am now, the person who, who understands the importance of balance and who understands, you know, you know, is have balance and you must do all these things and it's not about just growing your business. And it's not just about money. It's about all these things. I think that guy would be a uh, uh, poison to a 20 year old. Mm. And I always say, like, be careful when you ask for mentors because they may be in a different place to you. Uh, I think what I would go back and say, instead of saying what I, what I think now is, geez, I worked too hard and I put in too many hours. I think I'd probably go back and say, you didn't work quite hard enough. Uh, because in the early days when you have the energy, the energy is a diminishing, here's the bad news for, for everybody. Uh, the energy is a diminishing resource. And it turns out at 40, you don't have the same, uh, you don't have the same gaff, the same give a fuck as you had when you were 20. 
Mm. And so as long as you have that, you need to, to milk it for every, leave nothing left in the tank. Mm. And I think I worked hard, but I don't think I worked hard enough. And if I realized the one day I'd wake up and think, oh, I don't feel like doing this anymore, uh, I, I would have possibly thought about it in a different way. Mm. But if I, if I speak to somebody now, I say to them, it's not worth it. Uh, work-life balance is a far better thing. And I believe that now. I just think it's not helpful when you're 20 and starting. Yeah, that's fucking great advice. Thanks for that, Richard. Um, okay, last couple of questions. What has been the toughest decision you've ever made in business? And what did you learn from it? Uh, there's been a few and probably the toughest. Can I, can I? Okay, so the toughest decision I've made in business is one I'm making right now. And the learning thing, I'll have to come back to you in six months or so and let you know exactly how it played out. Mm-hmm. We built our business on a, on a legacy. On, well, we built our business on a, solving a very specific problem. The realization for me is that the business we were is stopping us from becoming the business we need to be. It's not what you refer to as a pivot. It's more of a growing into different areas, taking parts for a business we have and growing them. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it's the courage to say, well, that thing that's made is all that money and we have people doing it and we have all these things. Maybe we need to stop doing that. Maybe we need to stop doing that uh, now. That, that's basically saying all of that knowledge you built up, do you have to turn it off? Do, you have to, do we have to stop? And the truth is that I think that if we don't stop it early enough, it will be stopped for us. And so I'm constantly trying to work out when is the right time. And I, and I say constantly, right now, I'm in, I'm in this big decision of when is the right time to pull the plug on that, uh, to allow us to, to force us actually to focus on going forward. Mm-hmm. Because right now, there's so much of a safety net that I have with that big part of the business. Mm-hmm. It's difficult for me to say, well, let's just turn that off. I mean, there's so much revenue there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized that that big chunk of revenue may be uh, less empowering and more of an anchor than I would think. Mm-hmm. And to get the courage to make that decision is proving harder than I thought. I'm so invested, even emotionally and mentally invested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you, t- are you, are you, sorry, mate, are you specifically talking about missing link and doing creative presentations or is it another? I'm talking, I think we'll always have to do the presentation part of the business. Well, because we'll always have to be about, um, delivering the message, right? That's always going to be crucial. Uh, yeah. we do a lot more strategy work now, but if you can't deliver your strategy to your organization, you're failing. Mm-hmm. However, in the past, Missing Link derived its revenue from the physical making, making presentations, making videos, making animations, whereas I'm not sure that that's where we'll, well, in fact, I'm almost certain that we will not be able to continue uh, generating revenue that way. We'll have to find a different way mm-hmm. uh, to do that going forward. Yeah. And there's just a lot of a legacy that I will have to, 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 to stop. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's unsilly, but it's nerve-wracking to do. Yeah, no, it is. I totally share your, your, your sentiments there. I think it must be incredibly difficult to walk away from something that you're invested in. Um, but oftentimes, if, I mean, there's obviously a driver behind why you want to do that or why you're considering it. So often for me, it's, it's, it's balancing what's, more, what are the, what's the kind of underlying equity behind the driver versus the equity that you're currently creating. Because obviously, yeah. you're not in alignment, right? And hence, that's why the decision's difficult. The way I looked at it was, I imagined, uh, let's say, I look at my business right now, and I've invested 19 years in a certain way of thinking. I, I asked myself, if I was driving to a meeting where I had to buy shares in a company, would I be willing to drop money and buy shares in the company that I currently have? Or would I rather uh, drop shares in a different kind of company? 
Mm-hmm. And whenever I frame it from that way, whenever I put myself as an outsider, the answer is always the same. It's always, no, I would definitely not invest in the business we were. That, that business model doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I sit back inside the company, I'm like, well, but I know that it's a smart decision. I'm just trying to work out exactly how to make it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Last one, uh, Richard, I suppose it's almost self-evident now after everything that we've covered, but what's your why as an entrepreneur? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, again, this is probably a bad answer for, so, so uh, the entrepreneurial thing is very little anymore. I realize that I'm entrepreneurial, the, the adjective more than an entrepreneur than now. And I no longer define and identify with that. Currently, this is a job. I, I want to do other rad, rad, rad things. I want to be snowboarding. I want to play games. I want to have a great time. Mm-hmm. And I see now running a business as something that empowers me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I now define myself, the, the why is more the work we're doing rather than the company I'm building. So mm-hmm. I've got to that stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm waking up and I look at my diary and I don't have meaningful stuff that I feel I'm doing, it's a bad day at the office no matter how much money it makes. Mm-hmm. If, uh, and it's not even a cliche. Uh, I, I, live, I have a lifestyle at the moment which I, I don't require too much more. I, I do okay and everything's fine. But if I have a day where like, oh, this is such a cool problem we're solving, uh, it doesn't even matter if it's making cash. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. And um, so the why now has moved from the business that I want to build to the work I want to be doing. I've become quite selfish, I would guess, with the time. And I only want to work on meaningful things. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not having fun, if I'm not with my family, if I'm not doing stuff, then I want to be doing things that really, really makes me think and that I really think matters. Yeah. Okay. Richard, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. That concludes um, your interview on the Digital Kung Fu Show. Uh, we'll say our goodbye. Thank, if the guys wanted to reach out to you and just kind of tweet you, where can the guys find you? On Twitter, it would be at Rich Mulholland, R-I-C-H-M-U-L-H-O-L-L-A-N-D. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there's a, like a Facebook page where I post blog posts and stuff on at Rich Mulholland. It's kind of different to my personal one where I see photos of my kids. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then various, like I write for different magazines, Destiny Man, Longevity, Kaluma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super. Richard, thanks so much. I'll let you go. I hope your daughter gets well again soon. And uh, yeah, wishing you all the best for the rest of the year. And hopefully we'll connect again. I really enjoyed the... Thank you very much for your time. You too, mate. Take it easy. Bye. Bye now. Remember that the show is now on iTunes. So please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird VIP access. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.